0: If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of September 5, 2021. The podcast that invented the submarine screen door. This is your host Shane Killian, let's ablactate the news of the bogus. One of the many controversies during the COVID-19 pandemic has been the moratorium on evictions put in place by the CDC. The legal question is, does the CDC, or any other part of the executive branch, have the constitutional power to do this? We talked about the Supreme Court decision from June where they decided not to vacate the stay since it was set to expire July 31st anyway but said that Congress would have to authorize any extension. Of course, Congress didn't act on it, despite having a month to do so. They could impeach a president in a week, but couldn't do this in a month. Tells you everything. So the Biden administration did it anyway, and dared the Supreme Court to do something about it. So they did. They ruled, quote, "...the case has been thoroughly briefed before us. Twice." And careful review of that record makes clear that the applicants are virtually certain to succeed on the merits of their argument that the CDC has extended its authority. It would be one thing if Congress had specifically authorized the action that the CDC has taken, but that has not happened. Instead, the CDC has imposed a nationwide moratorium on evictions in reliance on a decades-old statute that authorizes it to implement measures like fumigation and pest extermination. It strains credulity to believe that this statute grants the CDC the sweeping authority that it asserts. According to the CDC, an extension is required to prevent increasing the spread of COVID from evictees. After reaching a low in mid-June, COVID-19 cases grew again in the United States in the face of renewed lockdowns and reactivated mask mandates. Someday people are going to figure out the trend. Justice Breyer descended, saying that the Supreme Court shouldn't have stepped in to stop it Quote, in any event. Lower courts have split on this question, given the split among the circuits. It is at least hard to say that the government's reading of the statute is demonstrably wrong, but that situation is exactly when the Supreme Court steps in to provide a consistent rule when the lower courts are divided. My God, Briar, do you not even understand what your job is? Breyer was joined by Sotomayor and Kagan, so apparently they don't know either. But the fact is, they were specifically told by the Supreme Court that they couldn't extend the deadline unless Congress did something. And they didn't. The only thing you can really do there is quit your whining. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, Without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Over the life of this podcast, we've been talking about the problems of bogus DMCA takedowns, and I myself was complaining about it for over a decade before that. When the DMCA was passed, it made it so that DMCA takedown requests were made under penalty of perjury. After 23 years, the total number of times a person filing a false DMCA takedown request was charged with perjury remains at zero. Some of them are mistakes, which can cause a lot of harm on their own, but it's also abused by scammers. Lately, there's been a variation on the scam, whereas before it was a standard DMCA takedown notice, Now we're seeing notices about links that allegedly bypass DRM restrictions. Section 1201 of the DMCA made illegal anything that would bypass a digital protection mechanism, even if the purpose of doing so was for fair use. Since these are separate from DMCA takedowns, they don't show up in Google's transparency reports, but they are sent to the Lumen database, an independent project studying cease-and-desist letters regarding online content and lately, they've received dozens of dubious Section 1201 takedowns. Several of them claim to be from the U.S. Copyright Office on behalf of the Video Industry Association of America. The Copyright Office has confirmed that these are bogus. More recently, the VIAA has been listed as both the sender and the copyright holder. The first problem is, no one seems to be able to find out who the VIAA is. They don't seem to have a -A 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 website, and web searches all seem to link to DMCA takedown notices. You'd think a group ending in of America would be, you know, American, but these guys don't seem to be able to handle simple English, and there are a lot of Russian words and sentences. Sites and apps that download video from streaming services are classified as software cracks. The websites they want taken down include things like DVD Fab and YouTube Rippers, but a lot of legitimate sites are included as well, including Wired, USA Today, and Tech Radar. They've targeted VPN sites, news sites, and even Pinterest. When they targeted Fossbytes, which provides downloads of free open source software, Google wiped their homepage from search results. When they contacted Google, they were told that, unlike normal DMCA requests, quote, there is no formal counter-notification process available under U.S. law for circumvention, so we have not reinstated these URLs." Fossbytes also revealed that the actual sender of the notices, claiming to be the VIAA, is actually a Russian who identifies as Wolffang. So the big question is, why is this happening? It might be easy to speculate that this is a covert action from big content groups to take down these otherwise legal websites, But a more likely explanation is something we've seen a lot in the past. A competitor to these sites is taking them down so they'll end up higher in the search results. Either way, it's clear that, as I said from the moment it passed, the DMCA is a tool for abuse and harassment. The only question is, how long is it going to take before anyone does anything about it? Now here's a story all about how a website avoided being named Idiot Extraordinaire. OnlyFans is a creator-support website, similar to Patreon and Subscribestar, except that, due to its policy, it's attracted producers of sexually explicit materials. It's what OnlyFans is known for, it's how it makes its money. And a couple of weeks ago they announced that they were changing their policy, quote, Effective October 1, 2021, OnlyFans will prohibit the posting of any content containing sexually explicit conduct. In order to ensure the long-term sustainability of the platform, and to continue to host an inclusive community of creators and fans, we must evolve our content guidelines. Creators will continue to be allowed to post content containing nudity as long as it is consistent with our acceptable use policy. The consensus opinion across the internet was, yep. OnlyFans is dead. Comparisons were made to Tumblr when they banned explicit material and censored the content, and then wondered why they're now only a pathetic shell, barely a remnant of their past glory. The company noted that it was having difficulty finding investors, and seemed to think they could bring in more investment money by getting rid of their bread and butter. It is interesting. Any other company with the success of OnlyFans should have had investors throwing big money at them. So what's the ish? According to Bloomberg, who broke the news, "quote "...the changes are needed because of mounting pressure from banking partners and payment providers, according to the company." In other words, they were being threatened with a denial of people being able to send them money. This is a huge issue, people. The whole excuse for government taking over banking is because you don't want these hideous, evil free-market types denying payment to whoever they want, and yet... As we've seen before, central banking systems will do exactly that. I was kind of hoping they'd accept cryptocurrency instead. We need a major player of some kind to increase use and awareness of it. But maybe it's for the best. These same moralistic neo-Calvinist boomers and third-wave feminists would have just used it as yet another attack on crypto. Anyway, about OnlyFans, Kathy Reisenwitz of Sex in the States said, quote, OnlyFans was the most empowering way for adult creators to connect with our audience. Many of them are going to have to turn to in-person sex work, made all the more dangerous by Sesta Fosta, to make ends meet. I'm deeply angry our sex-negative, whorephobic society allows lying evangelicals and SWERFs to dictate the limits of our freedom of speech and put sex workers' lives and livelihoods in jeopardy for no benefit to anyone. Every problem, from CSAM to trafficking, that banning porn is supposed to solve is actually exacerbated by stigmatizing and criminalizing online porn. She was far from alone in this outcry, and now OnlyFans has announced that it reversed this policy after working out assurances that they can keep operating as normal. Thank you to everyone for making your voices heard. We have secured assurances necessary to support our diverse creator community and have suspended the planned October 1 policy change. OnlyFans stands for inclusion, and we will continue to provide a home for all creators." Regardless of what your personal feelings about pornography might be, banning or restricting it achieves nothing and only causes great harm. And it isn't just about pornography, either. This is a threat to anyone who goes against the powers that be. And keep this in mind next time some politician whines about having to do an antitrust action against someone or other. Ask them where they were when this happened. Do you have children? Or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling? Or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? And now it's time to rectorate this week's biggest bogon emitter. And you can't possibly have missed the fact that the news media and democratic politicians are hitting the ceiling, histrionically bleeding that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, when in reality what they did was absolutely nothing. News outlets from the New York Times to CNN to MSNBC posted news stories, commentaries, and commentaries posing as news stories, all about how SCOTUS just overturned Roe. Tweets from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Corey Bush, and others repeated the claim and renewed the call for Democratic court packing. Bush said, This is what far-right extremism looks like. We need to expand the court. Ocasio-Cortez went a step further, calling for an end to the Senate filibuster. At issue is Texas's law SB-8, which says that physicians can perform abortions when there is no fetal heartbeat. If there is, and the physician performs the abortion absent a medical condition which would call for an abortion, then the physician shall be liable for civil action, as well as anyone aiding or abetting. It must be brought by someone who isn't an officer or employee of a state or local governmental entity and a physician following standard medical practices would be immune. This was an emergency motion for injunctive relief, which wasn't based on any enforcement from the state or any lower court ruling. Once again, we'll be doing what no one else in the news media apparently wants to do, which is to actually READ what the court SAID. They ruled, quote, "...to prevail in an application for a stay or an injunction, An applicant must carry the burden of making a strong showing that it is likely to succeed on the merits, that it will be irreparably injured absent a stay, that the balance of the equities favors it, and that a stay is consistent with the public interest. And none of that applies because, basically, nothing's happened yet. Quote, The applicants now before us have raised serious questions regarding the constitutionality of the Texas law at issue but their application also presents complex and novel antecedent procedural questions on which they have not carried their burden. And so they can't really do anything about that until they see what actually happens in a civil court. They've also got a separate case, Dobbs v. Jackson, coming up next term, which may provide a better opportunity to evaluate a similar law. That might have figured into their reluctance as well. They're going to have to take on this issue soon anyway. Quote, the state has represented that neither it nor its executive employees possess the authority to enforce the Texas law either directly or indirectly. Nor is it clear whether, under existing precedent, this court can issue an injunction against state judges asked to decide a lawsuit under Texas' law. So, really, they're trying to stop state action when there's not going to be any state action. Quote, Finally, the sole private citizen respondent before us filed an affidavit stating that he has no present intention to enforce the law. In light of such issues, we cannot say the applicants have met their burden to prevail in an injunction or stay application." So even the guy you're suing says he's not going to enforce it. You have no cause of action, and the case isn't right for a decision. So basically what happened is, they went to SCOTUS and said, this guy can't enforce this law. And the guy said, right, I can't enforce this law, I won't enforce this law, and I'm not gonna enforce this law." And the Supreme Court said, then what are we all doing here? Get out of my courtroom! And they were very clear, quote, "...in reaching this conclusion, we stress that we do not purport to resolve definitively any jurisdictional or substantive claim in the applicant's lawsuit. In particular, this order is not based on any conclusion about the constitutionality of Texas's law, and in no way limits other procedurally proper challenges to the Texas law, including in Texas state courts. So far from overturning Roe v. Wade, or opening the door wide for it or anything else, they specifically said that's what they're not doing. So if this, in the words of Cory Bush, is what far-right extremism looks like, then we don't have to worry about far-right extremism. Justice Roberts' dissent makes no sense to me. And by that, I don't mean his arguments are specious, I can't even figure out what his arguments are! Quote, "...the desired consequence appears to be to insulate the state from responsibility for implementing and enforcing the regulatory regime. But you could say that of any law creating civil liability. He said that it would, quote, "...preclude enforcement of SB 8 by the respondents to afford the District Court and the Court of Appeals the opportunity to consider the propriety of judicial action and preliminary relief pending consideration of the plaintiff's claims." But what are they going to consider if no one can bring a case against it? But at least he acknowledges, quote, "...the court's order is emphatic in making clear that it cannot be understood as sustaining the constitutionality of the law at issue." But although the court does not address the constitutionality of this law, it can, of course, promptly do so when that question is properly presented. At such time, the question could be decided after full briefing and oral argument, with consideration of whether interim relief is appropriate, should enforcement of the law be allowed below. Then you have Breyer's dissent, which was joined by Kagan and Sotomayor, where it's claimed that a civil action by a private citizen is exactly like a delegation of a criminal prosecution to a private party. Quote, "...a state cannot delegate a veto power over the right to obtain an abortion which the state itself is absolutely and totally prohibited from exercising during the first trimester of pregnancy." Indeed, we have made clear that since the state cannot regulate or prescribe abortion during the first stage, the state cannot delegate authority to any particular person to prevent abortion during that same period. The applicants persuasively argue that Texas' law does precisely that." But we see precisely that with other constitutional rights, including the First Amendment. You have a right to free speech you don't have a right to force Facebook to host your free speech. You don't have a right to engage in speech that causes damage to others. They can sue you civilly over that. But somehow, that doesn't apply to abortions, because potato." One of the clinic applicants has stated on its website, that due to Texas' SB-8 law, it is unable to provide abortion procedures at this time, and the applicants, with supporting affidavits, claim that clinics will be unable to run the financial and other risks that come from waiting for a private person to sue them under the Texas law. They will simply close, depriving care to more than half the women seeking abortions in Texas clinics. It'll be interesting to see if they say the same thing when it comes to lawsuits trying to shut down gun manufacturers. At any rate, why don't we see what the state courts have to say about that before you guys step in? That's the way this is supposed to work anyway. But once again, we see that Breyer doesn't even understand what his job is. As for Sotomayor's dissent, all you really need to read is her first sentence. Quote, the court's order is stunning. Presented with an application to enjoin a flagrantly unconstitutional law engineered to prohibit women from exercising their constitutional rights and evade judicial scrutiny, a majority of justices have opted to bury their heads in the sand." Jeez, is she writing a legal opinion or an op-ed for Salon.com? Quote, "...the act is clearly unconstitutional under existing precedents. But the existing precedents have to do with criminal proceedings, not civil. Please tell me you know the difference." Quote, "...the respondents do not even try to argue otherwise." Yes, in fact, they specifically said they weren't. Did you even read their opinion? I don't know if she's trying to be Justice Thomas and failing miserably or what. Quote, Today, the court finally tells the nation that it declined to act because, in short, the state's gambit worked. Not at all what they said. But I'm sure AOC and MSNBC loved reading that part. And now, sorry folks, we're not done yet. Kagan gets in on the act with a dissent of her own. That's pretty unusual, isn't it? I mean, they joined Breyer's dissent, and then made dissents of their own? And Kagan's is joined by Breyer and Sotomayor. Quote, "...without full briefing or argument, and after less than 72 hours thought, this court greenlights the operation of Texas's patently unconstitutional law banning most abortions." The court thus rewards Texas's scheme to insulate its law from judicial review by deputizing private parties to carry out unconstitutional restrictions on the state's behalf. Ah, I just debunked that. I don't feel like doing it again. This segment's making me tired. Texas law prohibits abortions for the vast majority of women who seek them, in clear and indeed undisputed conflict with Roe and Casey. But we don't know that! The lower courts might well decide that the restrictions of Roe and Casey need to be applied. You can't say your opinion is undisputed when no one else has had a chance to dispute it! Today's ruling illustrates just how far the Court's shadow-docket decisions may depart from the usual principles of appellate process. But this isn't an appellate process! There's no decision to appeal! That was the Court's point! Do you know what an appeal is? This is getting embarrassing for the liberal justices! It has reviewed only the most cursory party submissions, and then only hastily. Yeah, that's what you do in a preliminary injunction. That's why it's preliminary! Did you actually go to law school? I'll remind you all that what the Supreme Court did was absolutely nothing, because there wasn't any actual complaint before them. The one person they brought a complaint against specifically said he wasn't going to do this. So what's all the craziness about? Of course, it is nice timing, since it handily distracts against Biden's Afghanistan failure. So all of that makes all these people this week's Biggest Bogan-Emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and, most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. Go to Fermu, that's anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's furmuo.bagosity.tv and now let's scourgify this week's And it's another one for Sony about copyright issues, but it makes me wonder if these content companies are in some secret contest to make crazier and crazier claims. In which case, I think Sony wins. Or maybe they're just having fun seeing how far they can actually go before someone stops them. Because this time, they've taken infringement action against a DNS provider. DNS is the way that normal-sounding websites like bogosity.tv are turned into IP addresses such as 70.32.23.4. Lately, as we've covered, people are wanting to use encrypted DNS providers to help protect privacy, as well as guard against DNS poisoning attacks that can redirect a user to the wrong website, which installs malware, steals information, or does something else nefarious. Quad9, named for its IP address of 9.9.9.9, is a free, secure DNS platform operated by the Quad9 Foundation, a not-for-profit foundation with the purpose of improving privacy and cybersecurity, headquartered in Zurich, Switzerland. And Sony just sent them a notice demanding that they stop resolving domain names that Sony believes infringe on their copyright. Now, you might be wondering how they could do this in the U.S., given that Section 230 is still in place. Answer? They didn't. They did it in Germany. Even though neither Sony nor the Quad9 Foundation is located there. Because apparently you can do that now. In a blog post, Quad9 wrote, In June, Quad9 was served with a notice from the Hamburg, Germany court, stating that Quad9 must stop resolving certain domain names that Sony Music GmbH believed were implicated in infringement on properties that Sony claims are covered by their copyrights. Quad9 has no relationship with any of the parties who were involved in distributing or linking to the content, and Quad9 acts as a standard DNS recursive resolver for users in Germany to resolve those names and others. Quad9 just gets their information from the domain name system. For example, if you use them and you go to podcast.bogosity.tv, they contact the root servers and ask them who serves .tv domains. They'll point Quad9 to VeriSign, and they'll contact VeriSign and ask them where they can find Bogosity.tv. VeriSign will point them to A2 Hosting, so they'll contact A2 Hosting's DNS servers and ask them for the IP address associated with podcast.bogosity.tv. A2 Hosting will give Quad9 the address, and they'll pass it on to you. All of that happens quickly in the background. Quad9 will cache the domain name for a while so if anyone else asks for it, they can serve it immediately without going through all that again. So as you can see, Quad9 doesn't host the domains, doesn't have any relationship with them, doesn't even know who they are or what they're hosting, and only passes along information retrieved through the ordinary, regular DNS system. Quad9 will do some basic malware blocking, but other than that they have no control of the site or the user. Quote, Quad9 does not condone copyright infringement, and supports artists and rights holders in their ownership of content and prevention of abuse. However, we strongly believe that recursive DNS is the wrong place to try to apply legally mandated controls, and is at best incorrect, and at worst, may be contradictory to the safety of users as well as damaging the stability of, and trust in, the global Internet. And to make matters worse, although they haven't revealed which site Sony is demanding they block, it apparently doesn't have any infringing content hosted. Quote, In this action, the site that is demanded to be blocked is not directly housing the infringing content. It is merely a collection of links that point to other sites which contain the content for download. It seems to our view that this extreme distance from the actual infringing party is highly concerning, as any precedent made with this court proceeding is broad enough to apply in a significantly large number of technical environments, not just those involving DNS. Since most ISPs provide their own recursive DNS service, this could be used against every ISP. In addition... VPN providers, proxy services, caching services, antivirus software, firewalls, spam filters, email clients, Wi-Fi routers, web browsers, and even operating systems could be made to knuckle under if this becomes precedent. And as we've seen over and over again, this demand is made just on Sony's claim that they're infringing. Private companies should not be able to obtain content-blocking injunctions against intermediaries, with no possibility for Internet users to assert their rights to freedom of information before a court. It's interesting that they went after Quad9 first, as they're a small non-profit. Maybe they figure they'll be more of a pushover? Cloudflare would fight them to the death, and they know it. But then, from the looks of it, so will Quad9. What's next? They sue GPS providers for giving people directions to a street corner where they go to buy drugs? Eyeglass makers being held responsible for people using them to view pirated content? Uh, I'd better stop giving them ideas. So all of that makes Sony this week's... Idiot Idiot extraordinary. Idiot. Well, that wraps up this Euripides trousers, you mended these trousers edition of the Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to dundee.bogossity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogossity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar, and you can listen early and ad free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Pat Condell These days, we in Europe no longer make most of our own laws. We have them handed down to us by people we haven't elected and can't remove. The people we do elect are powerless to change anything, even if they wanted to, and most of them don't want to, because they've got their snouts in the trough of a corrupt organization whose accounts haven't been signed off for the last 16 years. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial and Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity.